I'm like, I'm like super fanning on um, Maestro Zikos, like seriously, because it's the speeches that he pulls if you pay attention to, which is amazing. <laughs> that means that guy actually uh, probably has memorized every one of his speeches or he's running it through voice recognition, which means that he can pull from a big garb to be able to get it done. So what is important to know today for February 9th, 2023? We have like a gajillion hearings going on. Like I haven't seen this many hearings at once in a long time. Uh, and it's just super bizarre as to how they're all happening. So we're talking rare earth minerals. We're talking, uh, you know, what's going on with China. I mean, it's just, there's just so much. Where do you start? Now, I think it's important for all of us to think who runs this world. And the reason I say this is because, you know, we, we, we just had, and this is where we can see the alliances, we just had a supposed State of the Union. And Turkey is still a member of NATO, right? And they've had over 17,000 people die from like a cluster of earthquakes. And it wasn't even mentioned once, you know, by Biden, considering Turkey is an alleged ally of the United States. The balloon wasn't really addressed. It was completely a big fail. In the meantime, Ukraine, for some reason, guys, Zelensky, like, who is this guy? Like, who is Zelensky. And I think it's important that we go back to a very old report. Let me, uh, let me find this. There's a report that I find pretty fascinating. So where is it? Well, Wait, before we do that, let me just show you what WION has, has been reporting about Turkey. This is insane, right? The death toll is super high. And what's going on is just pure insanity. 
my heart is breaking for everyone in Turkey and Syria right now, uh, not just from the impact of the earthquakes, but the aftermath as well to those that survive. Devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria has crossed 17,000. Turkish President Erdogan visited one of the cities hit by the quake and admitted faults with his government's initial response. This after anger is mounting from those left destitute over the slow arrival of rescue teams. Meanwhile, satellite images of the devastation have emerged. On your screens right now, you can see the images of cities before and after the earthquake. Notice a stadium which is filled with relief tents erected after the quake hit. In both the countries, rescuers continue to search for survivors, all of them driven by just one cause. That is to save lives. In one Turkish city, rescuers lay on the rubble of a collapsed building with headphones that they are trying to listen carefully for any sign of voices of survivors below the mass of concrete. While some are hopeful to find their loved ones, a Syrian quake survivor stands in front of his destroyed home. In his hand, he holds body bags as he waits for rescuers to recover his trapped family members. Meanwhile, the rapidly increasing death toll has raised concern over quality of building construction and regulations being flouted. Big questions loom over Turkish authorities. The economy has relied on construction to drive growth. Some experts see evidence of poor construction in some of the deadly building collapses. Turkey introduced new building codes requiring new construction to be earthquake resilient. Architects and urban planners in the country have long warned that building codes related to seismic activity are insufficiently enforced. I don't know how insufficient they are. I'll tell you why. From from over like a decade or two ago, buildings that have been built uh, post-1990 actually are buildings that have stilts. That's basically how they're built. They're built like that in Turkey, in Greece, and in Italy. So basically the houses sway with the earth. It's almost like they have like fins at the bottom when they lay the foundation. So they're flexible. So it's... Uh, it's uh, absurd for me to hear them say that it's building codes, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when looking at what's going on in Turkey and not a lot of it being mentioned, which is more bizarre, you would think that the EU and NATO would be, you know, talking about it all the time. They're not, but instead they're focusing on Ukraine. And I think it's important that we look back to see who this Zelensky is. He toured the United States where all the officials are wearing Ukrainian flags without an American flag in sight. Okay. And, and then at the State of the Union, we even saw abortion pins being worn, which is a place special in hell for people that support that air quote nation of abortion. Uh, killing babies is something that you wear proudly on your lapel. Are you kidding me? Now, there's not a lot of talk in official settings in respects to Turkey, which makes it smell, taste, and look like a repeat of Haiti. But they're talking about this guy. Like, who is he going to all these nations with demands sounding 
like a little tyrant, like almost like um, Lord Forkworth for from from Shrek, you know, the short, ugly, you know, king guy that was tiny. This guy doesn't change his clothes and he just appears in uh, big Western uh, nations and even addressed the EU today, EU parliament, addressed the UK parliament yesterday, demanding more weapons. They're driving war. So who is Zelensky? How much do you know about Volodymyr Zelensky? He's the president of Ukraine. The West is drawing parallels between him and the Chinese student who stood in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square in 1989. They say like him, Zelensky too is standing up to the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Volodymyr Zelensky has become the most admired person of the free world. His Legos are being sold. There is Zelensky merchandise. So much is being written about him, but mostly by the West. So far, we've seen Zelensky through the Western lens, one that sees Putin as the villain and Zelensky as the hero. Putin, the man who tags polar bears, and Zelensky, the president who dances to cha-cha. Putin is cold, Zelensky is funny. Putin barely talks about his family. Zelensky shares photos of his wife and children. Ever since the war in Ukraine broke out, the West has presented Zelensky as the antithesis of Putin, basically the good guy in this story. But this is the West's story. Let's look at Zelensky independent of the story. Who is he? Some say, like Putin, Zelensky too has authoritarian traits. Volodymyr Zelensky is 44 years old. He grew up in a town called Kriviri. This is where it's located on the map. Zelensky's father was a computer science professor. His mother was an engineer. He grew up in one of the better neighborhoods of the town. While the young men of Kriviri wore track suits, Zelensky wore classy suits. He liked English rock. He played the guitar. Even shared a pair of blue jeans with his friend, Alexander Pikalov. The denim would go back and forth between the two, depending on who had a date. So goes the story. The Soviet Union, though, collapsed when Zelensky was growing up. The post-Soviet era gave him the chance to mock politicians in broad daylight. A comedy show sprung up on Russian TV called KVN. It pit teams from across former Soviet states against one another. At 17, Zelensky became part of the team representing Krivi Ri. Soon, he and his friends created their own troop. It was named the 95th Quarter or Quartal 95. Critics say Zelensky's comedy was quote-unquote puerile, vulgar and working class. It is said that Zelensky's mother once visited the rehearsal. She was not happy with what she saw. The distressed woman would pull Zelensky's friend aside and ask, he's going to be a lawyer, isn't he? Zelensky did go on to study law. But he built a career in comedy. Back in those days, oligarchs would often invite comics and satirists to their parties. Zelensky was invited to perform at Viktor Yanukovych's birthday party. We are talking about the Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, who was ousted in the Euromedan revolution of 2014. Did Zelensky perform before Yanukovych? Reports say he did. When Crimea was annexed in 2014, Zelensky declared he did not want anything to do with Russia. His troop cut all ties with the Russian market. It also donated one million rivnia to the Ukrainian army. Not only was he a successful comic, but also Ukraine's most successful producer. He had a fancy office in Kiev with a panoramic view of the city. He bought a 15-room villa in Tuscany, one that he never declared during his presidential campaign. By 2012, long before Crimea happened, Zelensky was sitting on some $15 million. He did not lose much by cutting off ties with Russia. 
but he made immense gains in terms of his popularity. Soon, Zelensky started work on his most successful show, a sitcom called Servant of the People. He played a high school teacher named Golo Borodko, who was caught on tape ranting about corruption, and this monologue goes viral, and the teacher becomes president. Golo Borodko sets out to chart his own path. He surrounds himself with old friends instead of the old ruling class. He appoints inexperienced people to office. Turns out all of this could have been a campaign announcement spread over three seasons. The show ran from 2015 to 2019. In the final hours of 2018, Zelensky announced that he would run for office. He had no experience, but two big promises. One, he would fight corruption and confront Ukraine's oligarchs. And two, he would end the war in Donbass. Zelensky declared, you don't need experience to be president. You just need to be a decent human being. Volodymyr Zelensky is a native Russian speaker. His career as comic was all about depicting past presidents in a bad light, be it Viktor Yushchenko, Viktor Yanukovych, or Petro Poroshenko. Zelensky promised to be nothing like them. He projected himself as the total alternative to these presidents. 73% of Ukrainian voters put their weight behind him. He assumed office on the 2nd of May 2019. Just like Goloborodko, Zelensky installed friends in high offices, be it his writing partners, the head of his production company, or his lawyer. They were all made part of the government. And here we are three years later, the war in Donbass has not ended. Instead, it has escalated into Europe's biggest crisis since World War II. About a thousand civilians have been killed in Ukraine alone. More than 1,500 people have been injured. At least three million people have fled Ukraine. Zelensky failed to keep his promise and he could not have failed in a worse way. But he did rise to the crisis. When the US offered to fly him out of Ukraine, Zelensky said, I need ammo, not a ride. The president appears on TV every day and every day he's wearing a sap green t-shirt. He's visibly exhausted and mostly unshaped. On the sixth day of the war, Zelensky addressed the European Parliament via a video link. Do prove that you're with us, he said. His interpreter appeared to choke on his tears. Do prove that you will not let us go, Zelensky continued. One observer later noted it was as if Charlie Chaplin had morphed into Winston Churchill. You see, this man knows TV. He is pulling off what Putin had during the Chechen war. The daily press appearances, videos from war zones, sharing meals with troops, addressing parliaments around the world, and all of this is working. Zelensky has become the most popular politician in the US, more popular than even US President Joe Biden. How tough should that be, you could ask? Zelensky knows how to win people over. He knows gimmicks. After he became president, he appointed his press secretary through an open competition. There were 4,000 candidates and each of them were tested on their sense of humor and tolerance for stress. Zelensky also likes theatrics. He announced his election bid on live television on New Year's Eve. He once held a 14-hour-long press conference at a food market. Here's something he does not like, comedy at his expense. If comic Zelensky were to look at President Zelensky today, he would get a lot of fodder for his scripts. One. The president has not been able to weed out corruption. Two, the Pandora Papers have exposed Zelensky's murky businesses. Volodymyr Zelensky has offshore holdings, his own companies in British Virgin Islands, Cyprus and Belize. His team says Zelensky is quote-unquote like any other business person in Ukraine, but you don't get to be both, a businessman and a statesman. 
three. Zelensky has also displayed authoritarian traits. He has banned three TV stations in Ukraine. Observers say, just like Putin, Zelensky too may be seizing power from the oligarchs only to strengthen his own personal authority and advance his interests. In 2020, Zelensky dismissed a general prosecutor because he reportedly refused to pursue cases that helped the president's cause. A governor of a national bank was removed too because he was not loyal enough. The deputy governor too was removed because she had raised concerns about the bank's independence. Four, Zelensky has failed to deliver his biggest campaign promise. There is no peace in Donbass. The region has now been taken over by Russian forces. Five, Zelensky may have underplayed warnings of the war. He first accused the West of hurting Ukraine's morale. Then he decided to spook the world. He said Russia would attack on the 16th of February. Later, he said he was only quoting media reports. Today, Zelensky spends his days in bunkers, cheering his forces, appearing on TV every now and then. He's the only Ukrainian president to face a full-fledged invasion. He has the support of his voters. His approval ratings are at an all-time high. There is obviously a threat to his life. Zelensky, after all, is reportedly Russia's target number one. He's often heard telling global leaders that this might be the last time you see me alive. And every time a parliament applauds Zelensky, he says, thank you, but we want you to do more. There is no doubt he has risen up to the occasion. But come to think of it, he did not have much of a choice either. Fleeing Ukraine means losing presidency and a lot more. The Western media is drawing parallels between Zelensky and the emergency team that responded to 9-11. They've already pronounced him a hero. But it may be too early to say how history will judge this president of Ukraine. Well, that was based. That was very based and very thorough. I just say impeach 44. And I say this why. It's interesting that he has holdings in Belize, isn't it? Well, we've talked about his money offshore. We've talked about Cyprus. And then you hear Belize. And while you were distracted last week with the alleged Chinese balloons, right? The Pentagon, the day before everyone was freaking out about the balloon, announced that Mahid Khan was moved to Belize after spending 16 years in CIA custody. Khan was actually the only United States legal resident, so he had U.S. residency, being held in Guantanamo. And now he's in Belize, promising to be a law-abiding citizen there. His release came just one week before the UN visits the, the, uh, Cuba, basically. And they're there now. They're all collected there. And now they're working hard to release other Al-Qaeda detainees. It's kind of weird, isn't it? that he's going to Belize and the majority of the money that are being held, they're Belize money. And you know, I can't seem to shake this feeling that Zelensky reminds me a lot of Osama bin Laden. You know, almost like he's an asset from the times of yore in the USSR and out to spring now. Remember, he was the one that pointed to a missile and lied and said it was Russian to provoke war. Remember, we blew up the Nord Stream pipeline to provoke war. He's been going on a, you best do more, tour all over the world asking for help. Well, let me give you some insight.
Right now, in the United States, in various states, specifically one is Michigan, for some reason, our Department of Defense is training foreign nationals. Right now in Michigan, they're teaching them how to fly helicopters and Blackhawks, and they're doing all these flight exercises with Latvians. A letter that I received, and I would like to read it to you, um, startled me just a tad bit. The U.S. military is pretty much convinced that we're going to war in 2025. The situation says, and this is a general's words, my gut tells me we will fight in 2025. Xi has secured his third term and is set and set his war council in October of 2022. Taiwan's presidential elections are in 2024 and will offer President Xi a reason. The United States presidential elections are in 2024 and will offer President Xi a distracted America. President Xi's team and reason and opportunity are aligned with war in 2025. We've spent the majority of 2022 building foundations so that we can win. Wait, are they like planning war in advance? Is this how they do it? Because for some reason, you know, they've got like all these plans. Everyone in March should head up, you know, into, you know, legal so that they could get all their personal affairs uh, situated uh, so they could be legally prepared to be green. And in April, most units will be um, reporting for mobility guardians. Like this is, uh, they're telling you what they're doing and you have to ask yourself, wait a minute. So they're planning for war after the elections. This is like a, a proper document that the military has put out, you know, nationwide. And the question is, why aren't we hearing about it? I'm pretty sure other people know. I can't be the only one that has it. Now, just so that you guys understand the Zelensky portion of it, because we're really distracted over there with that. You know, Zelensky is abrasive, too. He had a press conference today, right? And um, Zelensky corrected Scholz for standing in front of his own flag. Like, why are you standing in front of our flag? You're standing in front of the wrong flag. We need to swap. You know, um, when he was giving his press conference with Macron, like this is, this is really weird. It is very weird. It almost feels like he's bullying people into getting things done. I think it's, um, it's important you listen to some of his rhetoric at UK Parliament yesterday, which I wanted to talk about, it was at most demanding and it was oddly like he's a leader or something of something that we don't know about. I have come here and stand before you on behalf of the brave, on behalf of our warriors who are now in the trenches under enemy artillery fire, on behalf of our air gunners and every defender of the sky who protects Ukraine against enemy aircrafts and missiles. On behalf of our tank men who fight to restore our Ukrainian borders. On behalf of our conscripts who are being trained now 
including here in Britain. Thank you, Britain. And who, and who will be then deployed to the front line, front line, skilled, equipped, and eager to win. On behalf of every father and every mother who are waiting for their brave sons and brave daughters back home from the war. Mr. Speaker, uh, you may, I think, well remember as roughly more than two years, two years ago, uh, we met with you here in Parliament. Great honor was for me. And we, I remember, we enjoyed tea. <laughs> we talked, of course. We talked a lot about our people and our, about our countries, about the British and Ukrainian political traditions. Mr. Prime Minister Rishi, when, when we had our meeting earlier today, and I said to you that I would tell you, I will tell a story in my address to the Parliament and a story about my feelings on my first visit to London as as president in autumn 2020. The program was packed, Royal Highnesses William and Catherine and Buckingham Palace and aircraft carrier of the Royal Navy, the Westminster, of course, Downing Street, and of course, the war rooms. And uh, there is an armchair in the war room, the famous Churchill's armchair, and a guide, and a guide smiled and offered me to sit down uh, on this armchair from which war orders had been given. And he asked me, how did I feel? And I said that I certainly felt something. But it is only now that I know what the feeling was. And all Ukrainians know it perfectly well too. It is the feeling of how bravery takes you through the most unimaginable hardships to finally reward you with victory. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for your bravery. Thank you very much from all, from all of us. Yes, please. That is for you. All applause for you. London has stood with Kyiv since day one. From the first seconds and minutes of the full-scale war, Great Britain, you extended your helping hand when the world had not yet come to understand how to react. Boris, you got others united when it seemed absolutely, absolutely impossible. Thank you.
you, all of you, you all showed your grit and character back then. Strong British character. You didn't compromise Ukraine. And hence, you didn't compromise your ideals. And thus, you didn't compromise the spirit of these great islands. Thank you very much. It seems really curious. Boris is supposed to be out of the picture. Yet he's been playing an integral role on getting things done for Ukraine. It's mind-boggling to see. Now the Ukraine, the Ukraine has gotten a promise from England that they will train Ukrainian pilots. And the weird thing is, is we have Ukrainians being trained online from our own Department of Defense officials. We have states within our borders with foreigners, including Ukrainians that are being trained. If you remember, I had reported a long, long time ago before most of this happened as to how bizarre it was that we, we allegedly had discovered that there were a bunch of British people on the shore in Ukraine before anything happened about the war. And, you know, what's really, really funny is, you know how that based reporter from WION said, you know, um, you know, Zelensky keeps wearing the same T-shirt, which he does. And it was all orchestrated. It seems to be the case. Because he's not public enemy number one for Putin hopping around the world and the globe without Putin getting him. If Putin wanted to get him, he would have been out faster than anything. You know how we took out Soleimani? Uh, it would be almost instantaneous, like a rod of God coming down and being so precise within, you know, milliliters, millimeters. Ooh, did I say milliliters? Millimeters. <laughs> he could split Zelensky's hair if he wanted to. So it doesn't sound really kosher. He's not really at war with Ukraine because if he was, all it would within a day and a half they would be done. Why would Putin sit around and wait for them to get trained and get all these weapons? Why wouldn't he just conduct an air raid and it would be over? This is these are the things that we should be focusing on. It doesn't make sense. If he was at war, they would have been done. It's all a show. It's all a show. I mean, look. They're like, yeah, we promised to train your pilots. And it's like, so Putin's just hanging around while they're training. Would you do that? Oh, look, you know, so-and-so is getting a posse together and getting trained and has all these leopards coming in. And they're in the United States. They're in this place. They're in that place. And they're all training. So I'll just wait till they're fully trained. So it's a fair fight. Anyone who believes that is an idiot. So the question is, you know, what is really going on? Well, listen to what the UK said, and then let's hop over to the EU Parliament's discussion. Now that was telling. After surprise visits to the United Kingdom and France, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reaches Brussels, where he addressed the European Parliament. EU leaders hailed Zelensky's arrival in Brussels, as this is Zelensky's first visit to the heart of the Union since Russia's invasion. 
European Parliament president states must consider providing long-range systems and jets to Ukraine. Zelensky, who was in the United Kingdom for the first time since Russia's invasion began, expressed gratitude for the equipment received so far, but warned that the supplies were running out. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has said that nothing is off the table when it comes to helping Ukraine in its fight against Russia. Thank you. Great pleasure. When it comes to fighter combat aircraft, of course they are part of the conversation. Indeed, we've been discussing that today and have been previously, and that's why we've announced today that we will be training Ukrainian Air Force on NATO standard platforms, because the first step in being able to provide advanced aircraft is to have soldiers or aviators that are capable of using them that is a process right so putin's just going to sit around and wait for the ukrainians to be trained before any war breaks out right because that sound that's like legit legit that's what you are listening to right now that that putin is hanging around waiting to let the ukrainians train seriously and yet we have our air force saying we're going to war with china we have our army saying we're going to war with china we have our marine corps saying our generals are literally sending out letters that we're going to war with china in 2025 and we're all training and creating the foundations and we have to be on ready starting next month but apparently there's a war with russia that everyone's trying to get into us and then russia their nord stream is bombed and Russia doesn't strike us. And I can tell you, we got to thank God we had President Trump because I believe, uh, you know, our internal politics and the conflict with President Trump is the reason why we're not bombed. We're, we're annihilating our nation as it is. Uh, we don't need any help. A nuke would just rapid, you know, uh, put it through, right? So you need to be sitting down and looking at this like a game of risk, Right. Why would, you know, Russia just be hanging out and waiting for Ukraine to get trained before they do anything? It doesn't make sense. Well, let me show you what he said at the EU summit. And it's like the most bizarre thing I have seen. It doesn't make sense why he would ask for all these weapons and pushing and pressuring them to give him more. It's like he's demanding. It doesn't even sound like a request. You know, he's wearing the same outfit, so that way he has a brand. That's why he's doing that. And look at that. United 24 is on his sweater. That is like branding. People are buying those t-shirts. Like they're making bank. And we're all sitting here having all these politicians globally on the Western side, like completely whoring themselves out to Ukraine, which is a, which is dead on arrival. So then you have to ask yourself, who is Zelensky? Because he kind of reminds me of Osama bin Laden and then became Osama bin Laden. Just saying. So let's see how he demands. ...are not violated. And, but when you don't feel that you cross borders, when people trust and have faith in tomorrow and are ready to go to squares to fight for their tomorrow, when 
between protesters and the president, president there's only one barrier, and that is honest elections. This is our Europe. These are our rules. This is our way of life. And for Ukraine, it's a way home. A way to its home. Now, I am here in order to defend our people's way home. Of all the Ukrainians of all ages and various political convictions, of various social status, of various religious convic conv convictions, and different histories, but all of us enjoy this common European history. Ukrainian European way of life, they tried to annihilate it with, through total war. After the, Why? Because after the European Ukrainian European way of life, they want to destroy the European way as such, out of, out of all 27 elements of the European way of life, of 27 countries of the European Union. We will not allow that. This total war now that was waged by Russia is not only for the territory for a territory in this or that part of Europe. The threat of it is that there is a dictator with massive supplies and reserves of Soviet weapons and weapons from dictatorial regimes, Iran in particular. In order to be able to fight like this, the Kremlin cynically and deliberately, year after year, step after step, was trying to eliminate and destroy what we see as our value in Europe. The value of human lives has been destroyed in Russia for the authorities there. Nobody is of value apart from those who are in the Kremlin and have their own wallets as at heart. 140 million of Russian citizens for the leaders of Russia are just bodies are, that are capable of carrying weapons to Russia, the weapons that would be on the battlefield and to keep everybody in obedience so they could become the supremacy of violence and obedience. These are the rules instead of law there. The Russian regime not only hates any social justice and diversity, they invest in xenophobia and try, are trying to make it part of normality on our continent and trying to make the inhumane realities of the 30s and the 40s, the 20th century, a reality of today. But this is the answer to that for us is no, no Europe. We are defending the, we're defending from the anti-European, most anti-European force of the modern world. We are defending ourselves, we Ukrainians on the battlefield together with you. And I thank you.
that we're defending it together and we must defend ourselves and it's important not only for the states of Europe not only for the communities and societies in Europe no matter who we are and what we are we always fight against disrespect and neglect wherever we live we always put our faith in integrity forever for whatever we dream for our children and grandchildren and the precondition for these dreams is peace and security and that is going to be and whether it's going to be possible if we do not overcome the anti-european force that is trying to steal from all of us our europe no only our victory will guarantee all that each of our european values our our victory that is going to be that should be should happen that would be mandatory dear leaders of europe dear president ladies and gentlemen dear members of european parliament dear workers of the european parliament here and are the european institutions here dear journalists dear security service workers dear military and army personnel policemen rescue workers dear workers of municipalities diplomats teachers professors scientists dear doctors drivers dear workers of seaports farmers dear industrialists dear workers at the industrial enterprise dear business owners small big businesses dear workers at banks dear energy workers and electricity grids workers dear trade union workers dear students and representatives of NGOs dear producers and actors lawyers defense lawyers human rights defenders the destiny of Europe the fate of Europe has never depended on politicians and that should not be the illusions now each and every one of us matter each and every one of you are strong each and every one of you is capable to impact and influence our common result our common victory and and these applause are not directed to me and at me this these applause is actually for these applause I'd like to thank all of you in Europe in hundreds of towns and villages who supported Ukraine in this historic battle thank you That was the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaking from the EU Parliament in Brussels. He called on his Western allies to keep supporting his country against Russia's growing aggression. Zelensky also. He sounds really thirsty and he sounds very scripted. Speaking of sounds, his English is all right. You know how people tell you that Putin doesn't speak English? Well, rarely, rarely, rarely do you get a glimpse of that. And I thought I would show that to you. Here we go. He certainly is not the shy and retiring type. That's why earlier this week, I was surprised to see this. Not once. Surely, time has come to change this. It was Putin asking very nicely and gently 
for the World Expo to be held in Russia in 2020, please. But in all this time, Russia has not hosted the World Expo, not once. Having sat with him at close quarters, I was stunned by this Putin. He seemed so soft and tame. Perhaps it was because, uncharacteristically, he was speaking in English. Now, to be fair, at least he can speak English and quite well. Completely free of charge. Very few American or British leaders can speak any language other than English. Remember Newt Gingrich's bilingual apology a few years ago? A la comunidad latina. Y espero que acepten este comunicado. Or here's President Obama trying his hand at Hebrew. Maybe they should all listen to Tony Blair, who admitted that trying to speak French was a bad idea. Peut-être une bien mauvaise idée. But then again, he tried it anyway. Merci de m'avoir écouté et au revoir. Putin speaks more than just English and Russian. He's a very intelligent man. And then you have to think, what is happening in respects to Ukraine and Russia. And the moves you have to see is what happened six months ago so that you can understand it better. See, Zelensky himself is a Ukrainian oligarch, would rub elbows with all these people. Yet for some reason, he's been stripping them of citizenship and money. They were begging the United Kingdom and others to take oligarch money that's tied up in banks. They want to find a legal way to steal people's money from the bank. You have to ask yourself what's really going on because Russia would have taken it out. And I'm posing these questions because I don't want to tell you what the answer is. That's not how you learn. You have to be able to see it because there's going to be a lot more coming between now and 2025. There's going to be a lot of rumors of wars. As you can see, he's just stripping people of their citizenship under war powers and that's what's weird that that no one's talking about this this is a big deal and the fact that the media is okay with this that people can be stripped of citizenship is bizarre i mean we had igor kolomoinsky we've had issues with him here and he's obviously testified in the u.s or whatever you know we have so many that were flanking Kolomoisky that are getting their citizenship stripped. He's trying to take their bank accounts, which doesn't make sense either. And no one wants to talk about how insane this looks. And it, rightfully so. Is he trying to consolidate power? So he's removing all law enforcement. We've got um, our own... Uh, uh, IG of the NSA, now IG of the DOD. Go figure. He went from IG of the NSA, where his wife works for the National Anti-Corruption Bureau, to IG in the Department of Defense, Pentagon, whatever, now that we're at war and supporting Ukraine, while his wife is in the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, which doesn't make sense either. It just doesn't make sense. So first, we have Robert Storch monitoring all communications of reporters and people in Ukraine. Post-2020 election, he gets moved to oversee the war with Russia and beefing it up. Sounds like Robert Storch is someone that we should all be looking into and no one is. It doesn't make sense. How do you allow 
you, the people, allow for things like this to happen? Are they going to be stripping us of citizenship? Well, they are. And I take you back to my most recent article that I did. Let me let me pull it up because it's important. Um, let me pull it up. And, I'll, and, and it was a couple of days ago that I posted this. Give me a second. Where is it? Um, AI-assisted canceling, the case of Madison Square Garden, right? So in the case of Madison Square Garden, as I wrote, and people don't read anymore, but if you read, the stuff that came out of Lauren Southern would have made sense to you because I kind of told you. Madison Square Garden Company in New York doesn't mind the criticism of racist algorithms because they are really racist, right? Um, as long as it can cancel people, the company doesn't want to be their patrons or people directly associated, family, businesses, etc. Facial recognition technology has been a hot topic recently with many people raising concerns about its accuracy and ethical implications, as we all know, right? Because it does, it does have biased search results for people that are of a darker skin color and more specifically those that descend from the continent of Africa. Now, what's really weird is, is that they're using it to cancel people. Um, in uh, At Madison Square Garden, uh, there were a bunch of people, um, two law firms actually into litigation with them uh, this past year because their employees were not allowed to access various venues that the Madison, Madison Square Garden company owns, like Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, Beacon Theater. And um, that's because they work for law firms that are in litigation with them. Uh, there was a couple that was escorted out because their data wasn't updated that she no longer works for the law firm. And it's like, wait, hold on a second. So if she was working for the law firm, she should be banned or her children should be banned and her parents and her family because you don't like them. And guess what? Where's freaking Attorney General Letitia on that shit? Nowhere. But it's gone further. And this is why I warned with it. It's gone further than that. Because now Lauren Southern, one of, uh, you know, the right wing canceled people, you know, a lot of people on the right didn't like her because she called them out for their right wing high school lunchroom table, Ali Akbar, Roger Stone antics. Um, you know, they all unpersoned her. She wasn't even allowed to travel, if you remember, because she had divisive rhetoric or something or she was too much of an influencer uh, in regards to people getting back their rights. Well, she was on Tucker the other day because this happened. Lauren Southern is an author and a filmmaker, and some of her views are considered offensive by the neoliberals in charge of everything. For example, she thinks unrestricted illegal immigration, probably not that good for your country. And because of that, big tech has decided to make it impossible for her to live in the West. Airbnb has refused to allow her to stay in any of its properties without explaining why. By the way, if you have a felony record, you could probably stay at an Airbnb. But now Airbnb has decided to take a close look at Lauren Southern's family. Because her parents are related to her by blood, the genetics are incriminating, and her parents are no longer allowed to stay at Airbnb, a common practice in North Korea. So we reached out to Airbnb and its head of public policy, former Obama official Jay Carney, and Airbnb claimed this was just a mistake. But of course it wasn't a mistake because they explained that they were doing it because these people are close to Lauren Southern in their email. This is the company, by the way, that banned January 6th defendants. Lauren Southern remains banned by Airbnb. She joins us tonight. Lauren, thanks so much for coming on. Um, so, I mean, what kind of world is it where 
not just the thought criminal, but the thought criminal's family is banned from spending the night. What is that? There's definitely been a Pandora's box opened in the culture war. I think progressives have realized with the laws we have in place defending civil liberties, they can't quite bring a social credit system in yet, so they've found a way to circumvent it through the corporate class. They can right. just impose a social credit system on us using big tech. Do you think your parents will be allowed to buy food or receive medical care since you're against illegal immigration? <laughs> in the next few years, who knows, honestly, this is escalating at such a rate I never could have expected. Of course, Airbnb have reversed their decision for now, uh, claiming they are very sorry. But I think we both know the only thing they're sorry for is bad PR and that they were trending on Twitter last night. Well, I mean, and they admitted it in in their communication to your parents. They said you're connection to Lauren Southern makes you ineligible. So I wonder if you were like a convicted armed robber, would they do this to your parents? Of course, they would well, not even consider it, right? They, they don't even treat the families of Epstein and Maxwell like this, right? right? And what was funny is when they reversed the decision, they claimed in an email to my parents that they had reviewed their appeal. My parents never appealed the decision. So they're attempting to create this phony narrative that it was all a mistake. How do you mistakenly track down an activist's family, mistakenly send them a specific email saying it is because of their relation to me? It makes no sense. They're trying to cover up something nefarious here. And the only reason they aren't continuing to do this to me is because I have a platform and they're testing the waters. If they got away with it this time, they would have kept going. But they miscalculated how woke their market is. This shouldn't surprise us. These are the same people who, who attack entire groups of people on the basis of their genetics. Some groups are innocent, some are guilty. I mean, it's, it's, it's classic Nazi race science. You're implicated by your blood. I mean, that's what Airbnb is saying. Essentially, yes. And I, I got to say, one of the most disappointing things for me is that it has gotten to this point that yeah. we've spent so many years having Republicans defend cronyism by pretending it is capitalism. And then our failsafe, which was supposed to be progressives who are supposed to question the big corporations when they are discriminatory, specifically on blood and genetics. Uh, they're like an ADHD dog that just got distracted by a bone with a pride flag on it and placated entirely. So we're left with just activists on Twitter. Thank goodness your show. You're really holding down the fort for conservatives who want to have their freedoms. But it's, it's just a real shame. Well, yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's not hard. You, you shouldn't punish people's parents for thought crimes. I mean, it, it's like, it, yeah, it, that seems an easy one. Lauren Southern, great to see you tonight. Thank you. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel. To I'm glad that Tucker had her on. But again, I'll remind you, it was only a couple of days ago that I wrote the article showcasing that this is happening. Almost like I knew. Almost like I knew. Literally almost like I knew. Let's take a quick intermission. The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Mm -hmm. And my friends at the table doing shots freaking fast, and then we talk slow. Come over and start up a conversation with just me And trust me, I'll give it a chance Now take my hand, step put in the middle of the jukebox And then we start to dance and sing it like Girl, you know I want your love Your love was handmade for somebody like me I'm in love with the shape of you I love America 
So I think it's important that I, <laughs> I tell you my thoughts. You know, a lot of people claim wizardry and knowing things. But you know what's weird? Manafort got busted for Farah. No one's ever been busted for Farah before. And suddenly he is. And it's almost like it created precedent for this laptop that the FBI has had in their possession for a good year before people knew about it. Almost a year. This year is the year of the R. Reverse course, recompense. Uh, we are getting everything because we have receipts. Now, when you think of that, you're just like, well, it seems a little bit weird. It almost seems like they're trying to piss off their own base. At the moment, IRS agents are coming for tips. Most of the working class that takes tips, uh, let's just say, is uh, the base of the Biden administration. Yet it's almost as if they're trying to piss them off. They're also warmongering, showcasing the need for war. Lying. And being exposed at every step of the way. You know, one can make the argument that Del Harvey was planted there in the first place by the DIA in order to allow this to perpetuate and create that culture in order to then tear it down. That's one idea. Maybe this is why she wasn't subpoenaed. The other one is, it's that it's the Praetorian government within your nation that does so. And it's really funny because a lot of people are like, well, you know, people like me. Who owns them? Is it the left? Is it the right? Whose script is she on? And you know what's most dangerous? When a person that is on no script and on no camp can clean house. And that would mean that there are a lot of people like that that can clean house. But in order to get that activation, that cleaning sensation to go, the people must unite almost like a grand symphony to join together to take care of business. Because if it's just one person and it's not everyone carrying the water and cleaning house, if not everyone is in sync to want to clean house, well, then it's not going to happen. And at this point, we just need a great show with great music that will inspire the hearts of many to take control of their nation. I mean, this is what it would seem like. Almost everything that they've done seems like an illusion, almost like magic. Well, if they can do magic tricks, there's others that can do magic tricks too. And that could be the illusion of assisting them. When in turn, you're like, oh, you're digging a hole? Let me help. So we can, oh, you're digging a hole to bury our enemies? Great. Let's all grab a shovel. And then you dig the hole with them only to throw them right back in. I mean, that's, that's one way someone can see it, right? That could be it. You know, there's also like an active plan now by the left to get Kamala out. You know, Kamala is not capable of running this nation. We all know this. Uh, she was not capable as an attorney. I mean, to give, one would say that she was capable-ish as an attorney general, but she wasn't adhering to her woke policies, which is also bizarre. All she does is cackle. We're seeing that as we sit down and, 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 and American spirit is playing music, 
so that the right can do the right thing, they're all dropping the ball. Every single one of them seems to be dropping the ball from our national resources to the Chinese spy balloon case to what the Armed Services Committee is saying about the Pentagon's war preparedness. Like I said, you know, we are going to war and they've claimed that we're going to be at war in 2025. Because if we're not, then how do you justify this? Any specific, I know that's a broad question, but any specific thoughts, recommendations there? Uh, my district, proudly home to West Point, what, what can we be doing at our military academies, in our, even just our schools and community colleges to get at the, the cyber talent and other talent issues? With 27 seconds, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just, just very briefly, I think um, the, the key talent challenge is going to be having the sufficient amount of technical talent uh, in the government, in the Department of Defense, or to advising them um, to be able to make informed and intelligent decisions about what is going to become, what is already becoming a highly technical force uh, in terms of uh, these types of emerging and advanced technologies in particular. Um, you know, if, if, if you're looking at it and you can't sort of call balls and strikes and differentiate what is good from what is not, uh, the government's going to make a lot of bad decisions. Well, so well, having technical people in the room who are capable of helping the government make those decisions or make those decisions themselves, I think, is key. The gentleman's time has expired. We'll have to come back to the question of talent in the second round. Next up, a Texan, a Domer, a national champion, a man who's ran seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Is that right? Only... You, when I did that, I was as skinny as Mr. Gates. <laughs> uh, an Air Force officer, uh, Mr. Fallon. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, thank you to the witnesses. Mr. Brosen, you know, in my opinion, the, the future of warfare is going to be defined by innovative capabilities and uh, that we possess and how um, they compete against potential adversaries' capabilities, of course. Under the auspices of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, there's no less than seven different uh, entities generally defined that are responsible for innovation within the, the DOD. With these entities, like the Defense Advanced Research Agencies, there's some, you know, renowned breakthroughs. But still, there's a considerable amount of wasted time and effort and taxpayer dollars, et cetera, through the notoriously bureaucratic system. Uh, you know, it seems like every time that uh, the good idea fairy visits the Pentagon, you know, the, there's a new office born and a colonel gets his wings, kind of thing. Uh, what can we do about the duplicative offices? You know, they're packed with bureaucrats for, for everything, and it comes as no surprise to me that we struggle to bridge the valley of death in a system designed like this. So through your experience, how do you think the department can best streamline the efforts to capture innovation uh, in a timely manner moving forward? Um, I, thank you for the question, and I think you're spot on. Um, I, I would actually turn it back to this subcommittee to say I think from my experience in government and out of government, uh, there is a crying need for greater oversight. Um, exactly to your point, you know, we're spending billions of dollars on research and development, um, new types of technologies, um, some of which are duplicative, some of which the commercial industry is already 10 years ahead on. Uh, some years, some have, you know, no path to uh, real, ma you know, making an operational difference. Um, I think the first place that I would start is, is sitting down and actually going into real detail over what are we spending, what are we actually working to develop. Um, and using the powers that this committee and this uh, Congress has, uh, beginning to make some of the hard choices that you know perhaps the department is is not positioned or incentivized to make. Um, and I think you know in so doing, you know you can begin to start to create patterns of behavior on the executive branch where they may begin doing more of this themselves. 
Um, but there's a desperate need to rationalize uh, what we are spending and what we are doing on advanced technology and start really focusing on what are going to be the priorities that we need to get fielded fast. Can I jump on that? Yeah, please. Yeah, the, um, first of all, I bottle up whatever the Marine Corps has going on because I'll, I'll give you two systems and their acronyms, I apologize because I don't know them. The first is MREC, where they took an Iron Dome system, their Gator radar, and the existing all-domain command and control and created a short-range air defense system that has eluded the U.S. Army for over a decade. Uh, and then the second is they took a, a, naval, uh, a naval standard missile, paired it on top of a HIMARS launcher, and got themselves a, a, a uh, anti-ship cruise missile system that can deploy all around the first island chain. Both of those were innovations that started down at the major lieutenant colonel level and worked their way up through the system and succeeded. I mentioned earlier the Harpoon system, uh, where the Ukrainians adapted that in two months. They also ran out of uh, SA-6 missiles for their buck launchers and grabbed our RIM-7 RIM sidewinders and installed them in one week and began shooting down uh, Russian uh, um, cruise missiles. You know, again, the Army's been working for 10 years on a system called IFPIC, indirect fire protection capability. Uh, and it seems to me that we need to, to take this innovation that starts at the ground level and move, and, and move that up because that's where you save money and that's where you get real capability. And, go ahead, please. Two specific ways that you could accomplish that, um, and really what you're after is that you don't want to scale innovation initiatives within the Pentagon. You want to scale them out at the edge in two very specific ways that the committee could support this. The first is one of the most successful organizational efforts at this is um, Task Force 59, which is a naval task force out in the Middle East that's actually working and testing with unmanned systems in cooperations with the private sector and allies. It's been a great success in the Middle East. Scale it across the regions, scale it across the services. The second type of organizational structure to get after this is some units have, they're basically copies of the shark tank model, where it's you're taking bottom-up ideas from junior troops and rewarding them. Um, the 18th Airborne right. Corps has one. Replicate those across the force. That's where you want scale. I, I give you one other one, sir. Sure. The, uh, we had the uh, Strategic Capabilities Office, or Special Capabilities Office, run by Will Roper, where he basically was read into all the SAP program, the special access programs for every service, and all the, gen the normal programs, and he was able to marry up systems, take, take peanut butter and chocolate and make a Reese's cup that we couldn't do with, our, with all the, those nine standard research and development organizations you mentioned. So continuing to support that is critical. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Time time expired. Uh, next up, the man from Massachusetts 9, whose district includes Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, and Cape Cod, correct? correct. Not quite Green Bay, Wisconsin, but nice nonetheless. Race recognized for five minutes. Well, thank you. It also uh, includes Joint Base Cape Cod uh, and uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, uh, UMass, uh, and Dartmouth that does is it has contracts with the uh, uh, Navy, undersea, and, and uh, a lot of things we're talking about, the research is going on right in my district. So uh, thank you for being here. Uh, just looking in the mirror first, before we just look at you, I'd like at, at your own uh, fear of answering the question. Congress, uh, continuing resolutions, uh, our inability to uh, deal with the uh, regular order and appropriations, and even when we do it in the House side, it goes nowhere in the Senate. I mean, these are stumbling blocks, too, in our own uh, project. Can you want to comment on how 
they're harmful, the, the, our inability to do this. I mean, with the continuing resolutions for everyone else listening here, uh, it, it locks us into what we're doing yesterday, and we can't go forward. And this is going for a long time. So can you comment on uh, how that is uh, one more barrier that we face? Thank you, sir, and you're, you're spot on. Um, continuing resolutions and uh, appropriations not passed on time are absolutely devastating for national defense. Uh, they're devastating for any company that is trying to actually plan and forecast what it's going to do. It's devastating for program offices that are trying to rationally spend money in terms of our own dodent systems and things like that. But, you know, this question of, you know, deterrence requires not just capabilities, but it requires resolve. And, and I worry about, you know, just sort of the resolve of the American people if we start to feel squeezed, if we start to feel some of this here at home, what does that mean for our resolve abroad? One last point I want to raise is um, you, you, you kind of mentioned how uh, other countries are moving forward with other types of programs of this. You also mentioned as part of your statement about, um, about trying to make sure that we can align U.S. cyber rules and regulations with ma other major allies. I wanted to get a sense, does that include, you know, this idea of privacy-enhanced tech and AI? You know, it's sort of another angle of, of how we look after the American people. As hey, this is key. This is key. So he's talking to the military of how we're going to be using AI to protect the privacy and the people. Pay attention. As we start to scale up. It, yes, and I think it points to a larger mentality, which is that um, just as much as we seek to aid other democracies, we should be learning from their best practices and trying to implement them here so that we can have cohesion. And um, that is an example of one area, the digital literacy, learning from what the Baltics have done successfully, et cetera, and then trying to replicate them across our allies, like in a Taiwan or whatnot. Okay, great. Thank you. So in other words, we should all have a global system where we keep everyone's identity so we can protect everyone together. And this way we can exchange. Look at what the people at the Balkans did. I mean, look at Taiwan. And I'll remind you that the letter from these generals cite Taiwan's elections and how it's going to be China's opportunity while we're busy with our election. Uh, yeah, yield back. Gentlemen, yields next up from Florida's first congressional district, a humble country lawyer who represents the Blue Angels. Mr. Gates. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. One of the frustrations that we've had on the Armed Services Committee has been the gestation period from R&D to actually getting these cyber capabilities to our cyber warriors. And one of the things that's been presented to us as a way to bridge that long gestation period is the Defense Innovation Unit, the DIU. I was wondering if any of you had a perspective on how we ought to think about resourcing that and whether or not that's a way to get capabilities into the hands of cyber warriors faster. DIU. Now, that specific division is the one that was deployed, well, it was mostly used by ICE to track down human traffickers and child trafficking, all this back page stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's almost like the first work, kind of work, that um, Twitter's Del Harvey did. I should show you that because I think it's important. Let me see if I can get that archive here. I have archived. I'm putting together a video on it. If I have an archive, gosh darn it. Archive? That's okay. I got it. You guys want to see her 16 years ago? 
16 years ago when she, 16 years ago, which would mean before Twitter, I want you guys to see who she is. So that way you can understand the gravity of the situation. Out room searching for children, but Del Harvey is fighting back by hunting down online pedophiles and bringing them to justice. She's here today to uncover a disturbing world that every parent needs to be warned about. Please welcome from pervertedjustice.com, Del Harvey. Del, it's amazing the work that you do. You've been doing it for a long time. We first spotted you on Dateline and were just <coughs> blown me. away by, by the justice that you're actually bringing to our world and doing this. You, you essentially are pose, have been posing as young boys, young girls, trying to get these online predators. Before we see you in action, what is it that you do exactly? Well, essentially, the organization goes into online chat rooms with underage profiles, and if adults then contact those underage profiles and solicit them for sex, we then contact the police and work with them to prosecute and convict them. To trap them, essentially. Yeah. Precisely. Right. Okay. So once you, you post a profile in one of these chat rooms and you're going back and forth, how long does it take before someone who is perverted comes on, comes on the scene? Is this a long <laughs> process? It depends on the area, but it can be as soon as two minutes, really? five minutes. And then, and then what do you do? Essentially, you just have a conversation, and you see where they start taking it. If it's, you know, oh, well, how's school? All right, you're really young. Have a good day. Be careful on the Internet. Great. If it's how's school, are you home alone, yeah. what your parents do, mm -hmm. then, then you start you getting do? concerned. You actually just go ahead and maintain the conversation. We're very careful not to initiate things, because even though we're not law enforcement, we adhere to the standards of law enforcement to ensure that it's easy to prosecute the cases. Because the last thing we want to do is make it more difficult. So you have training for this. Oh yeah, we Aerial actually training. now train yeah. police departments. And when is it exactly that they start arresting these guys? When does a justice come in and able to take them away? Well, essentially, what we do is say that they say, "Okay, I want to meet you." Then we'll say, "We'll contact the police and say, okay, we've got someone. Where do you want him to meet us?'" And they'll say, "Okay, take him to the park at four o'clock." And we'll say, "I'm going to be out from school early. I'll meet you at the park at four o'clock." They mm. go to the park and police are there. Police but are there. Have Is there any proof? You can't just Absolutely. do it. You can't just do it from the chat. Not true. You can do it from the chat In some because states? if you have solicited a child for sex online. That's illegal mm -hmm. in a number of states. And if you sent pornography, a lot of them will masturbate on webcam for the child. Oh, and that's, that's evidence. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have screen caps And the that. intent. So the intent Absolutely. is enough to prosecute these intent people. To, an intent to have sex with the child is enough that's to correct. prosecute in a number of states. Aren't yes. they wise Wait. to it yet, though? Because, you know, people like you talk about it. People like us talk about this. And they know that there are undercover people on the web. Well, yeah. we got 18 this past weekend in Ohio. So, so the, now. The compulsion is enormous. Yeah. Probably. We have some transcripts of, of some of the conversations you've had with these um, pervert, perverts. And yeah. this one is with a 51-year-old man who thinks that he's talking to a 13-year-old girl. I just want to let the audience know that the thing that's so graphic, we can only read you a little bit of it. But the man says, do you like older guys? To which you respond as the 13-year-old, yeah, they aren't obsessed with video games. No, says the man, they're obsessed with pretty girls. Can you hold for a min? You say K. Sorry about that potty break. Do you think you'd like for a guy my age to taste some of your kisses sometime? Oh you respond, I bet you're a good kisser. I bet you would be fun to cuddle with and hug, he says. I like to think so. Can I ask a really personal question? Sure. And he asks, are you a virgin? Yeah. Honestly, I've been looking for a young girl. I really don't think I would find one as young as you. You say, am I okay? And he responds, 
are you okay? Baby, you passed okay a long, long time ago. And that's the part that we that's could actually put on here. To what that, well, well, we can't even say what that is. But yeah. is that fairly typical of what these predators write to these kids? It depends on the type of predator. That's actually a great example of one of the most disturbing types, which is what we call the groomer. And by groomer, we mean someone who really tries to insert themselves into your child's trust. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So they're sitting there telling your child, who may be, you know, 12, 13, 14, your average insecure teenager, you're so smart. You are so mature. You're so beautiful. And the kid's sitting there going, my parents won't let me stay up till yeah. 11 o'clock. Yeah, you understand This guy me. understands me. This guy me. gets me, they're saying. Precisely. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you'd classify this next one other than you, you have said is the worst online predator that you've come across. It's a 34-year-old man talking to what he, he thought was a 13-year-old girl. In it, he says, well, how old are you? You respond, posing as a girl, I'm almost 14. I see, too bad you're 13 because I'm looking for someone. <sighs> well, I just feel so empty inside, you write, you know? Does it get, is it ever going to get any better? He writes, it doesn't. He writes, again, I'm looking for a younger, submissive female to train. You write, what does that mean? Well, she's a girl that allows another man to take control of her. Girl writes, I just want to feel safe. Man writes, but if I did this, it would have to be done in secret, and you would have to be totally submissive. What are you going to train me to do, you write. He says, to be my slave girl. What do I do, though? You'll find out. It will take some time for the training. But at the very base, you are my woman. Sad girl says, okay. He says, you like that thought. He's not even asking. He's already saying, you like this thought. Where, first of all, where is this guy now? Jail. Still in jail. Sometimes you're a girl, sometimes you're a boy. And you have certain uh, things you say so that you sound like a boy. But for the show Dateline, you went one step further than chatting. You said, come to my house. It wasn't exactly your house. But they came. The cops came waiting to see them there. And we have a little bit of this to show what happened when they actually came to the house they thought was yours. Were you a girl or a boy then? Uh, it depended boy. on the boy. Then you were a boy. Okay. Let's take a look. Hey, you out there? Hi. Hey, let me finish brushing my teeth real fast, okay? Just sit at the counter for a second? Okay. What'd you bring me? What an apple pie. Ooh. I gotta go floss. I still got something stuck in my teeth. Oh, okay. Come here. Did you want to be the cop or the robber? <laughs> oh, I don't care. Just hang up at the counter for a second, okay? Okay. So I know I showered once. Did you still want to shower again? <laughs> Oh, kind of stinky. Oh, boy. Gosh. And they were arrested? Yeah, all were arrested. And I have to ask you, the whole situation with MySpace, they also look for these kids on MySpace, and I think kids need to know, and parents, this is mm -hmm. so prevalent, and kids are under 14, actually, on MySpace, and they search for children as their yep. catalog. How many predators would you say are out there? What's your guesstimate? Actually, the latest estimations have been that there's around 50,000 predators online at any given moment. Oh, okay. So what happened to Del Harvey when she got to Twitter? She had a track record working for some obscure agency under the guise of just nabbing pedos. And suddenly she's on Twitter as safety and bans the president from speaking, sequesters who's allowed to speak, but allows child pornography to be disseminated across the Twitter platform. Again, I stress, the day I put out an article where I pointed out 
accounts, and some of those were Piero Delecto accounts. See, just like Del Harvey, whose first profile on Twitter was Invisible Girl, that's the way John Brennan, Mitt Romney, Barack Hussein Obama, Hillary Clinton, and many, many others have clandestine profiles. Some of those were screen captured following these child pornography accounts on Twitter that could be found in my article. So the thing that all of us should be asking ourselves is, how did we get to that point? Now, having said that, nobody knows where she went to college or what she really did for a living, but she was obviously working with law enforcement. I'm shedding some light so you can see how sides can change or have they. Could it be that in 2007, when she positioned herself in Silicon Valley, she was placed there to do just that, gather blackmail for a time like this? Hmm. I feel like we should listen to some music. One thing we should think about is who is the one who sold the world? that answer will be coming in the next few short months. Not like we don't already know. I wanted to kind of let you guys in on a little project I'm working on. I'm just going to play a jingle of something that's coming. Let me see if I can find it, though. Need to make sure I can find it. Give me a second. It'll be pretty interesting. You guys think? All seeing eye, they think they're mighty and high. Take a look, it's in a book, a conspiracy rainbow. Who's that billionaire? Be in the know, the status quo, conspiracy rainbow. What is a conspiracy? Is it true? It's up to you. Conspiracy rainbow. Conspiracy rainbow. A conspiracy rainbow. Conspiracy rainbow. Conspiracy rainbow. So that's something I'm working on. I should have it up for you soon. 
Well, not today. I don't believe. But it'll be soon. Something that you could go chop in when you're mowing your lawn or doing whatnot. I think I might start with the Lucius Trust. I don't know. We'll see. It's always great to read. And we should make America read more. Because then, when you listen to things like this, you have better understanding of what's really going on because it sounds all odd. Throughout the night, as the president had requested, National Security Advisor Sullivan provided him with regular updates. Saturday morning, February 4th, President Biden spoke with Secretary Austin multiple times about the mission, and it was completed, as you were aware, on Saturday afternoon when the balloon was shot down and crashed in the ocean roughly six miles off the coast of South Carolina in our territorial waters. Due to rough seas, debris collection began on February 5th. The USS Carter Hall is collecting debris in and around where the balloon came down. The USNS Pathfinder is using sonar to map the ocean floor and search for debris. The Coast Guard is ensuring that the area is kept safe for both the public and our military personnel. The PRC is DOD's pacing challenge, and the PRC's irresponsible actions were visible for the American public people and all of the world to see. Ultimately, we were able to collect intelligence from the balloon, we are recovering its contents, and we sent a clear message to the PRC that activity such as this is unacceptable. PDASU Jed Royal is here today to answer any questions you have about U.S. communications with the PRC and Indo-Pacific Affairs. We thank you again for convening this morning's roundtable, and I look forward to answering your questions. Chairman Tester, Vice Chairwoman Collins, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. I appreciate today's opportunity to update you on the U.S. military efforts related to the recent high-altitude balloon from the People's Republic of China. As Ms. Dalton noted, we acquired the balloon on January 28th. Following the radar acquisition of the balloon as it approached Alaska, and given the determination the balloon was not a threat to U.S. citizens or aviation traffic, and the lack of, abil of its ability to conduct significant intelligence collection at that time, the NORAD NORTHCOM commander assessed and reported he would continue to observe and report the balloon's movements. He advised the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense who ensured the appropriate senior leaders were aware of the ongoing situation. As the balloon crossed through Canada and approached the United States border, the assessment for potential intel risk to sensitive critical U.S. sites in the upper Midwest increased, and the President asked for kinetic courses of action. In determining potential options, the risk of Chinese intelligence collection was deemed to be low to moderate while the risk to U.S. personnel on the ground was assessed at moderate to significant. Given the various debris field models combined with potential weaponeering, as the assessment for risk to U.S. personnel outweighed the potential intelligence loss, the recommendation was made to shoot the balloon down over an area that minimized the risk to U.S. citizens. That location was in the U.S. territorial airspace and waters off the South Carolina coast. The recommendation was approved by the President and executed by the NORTHCOM commander using an F-22 Raptor on February 4th. The decision to shoot down the balloon in waters off South Carolina is allowing for the recovery of the balloon and its materials and the opportunity to gain additional intelligence insights on Chinese balloon and surveillance activities. It is important to note, at any point along the balloon's path, the U.S. military possessed, 
the, the authorities and the ability to shoot down the, the balloon in defense of our citizens. I look forward to your questions and appreciate the chance to be here today. And I should add that Vice Admiral Joyner, the Joint Staff J-8, is here to address any resourcing questions, and I'll do my best to cover operationally related items. Thank you. Uh, thank you for testimony, General Sims. Uh, there will be questions. Uh, I, in my particular case, you can direct them anywhere you want to answer them. Um, and keep in mind at 11.30, I think we have a classified briefing in the SCIF for all the senators, so we're going to try to be prompt. So uh, the first question I have is, um, when this entered U.S. airspace, did we know uh, what they were, what the Chinese were trying to collect? Did we know? Do we know what they were doing? Do we know what they were trying to collect? Senator, thank you for for the question. Um, as the NORAD Northcom commander has said, um, when the balloon entered North American airspace, NORAD had custody um, of it and and was tracking it closely. Yep. Um, as it transited across um, Alaska through Canada, which is of course part of NORAD, um, and we were sharing um, intelligence of real time and tracking and assessing with the Canadians, and as it entered the, the continental of the United States, we were able to track and assess I, and I, better understand. I got the tracking and I yep. got that. I want to know if we knew what the Chinese were trying to collect with that balloon, with that reconnaissance balloon. Did you want to jump in? Yeah, Senator, um, thanks for the question. Um, what, we can probably get into details more in the classified setting. You can just say yes or no. Sir, I, uh, you don't need to get into specifics. Just did we know what they're trying to collect? Yes or no? Yes, sir. We understand that it, it, this is a broader uh, part of a broader suite of operations that China is undertaking. So we, we knew what they were looking for. Sir, we, uh, I think we should talk about this uh, more explicitly in the classified session, but yes, sir, we understand that this is part of the broader suite of operations that, that China is undertaking to try and get okay. better understanding of U.S. Uh, uh, I got it. Sir. I mean, there's all sorts of suites of operations we have with what's going on in outer space and anything. But the question is, did we know what that balloon was trying to gather? Do we know what information it was trying to gather from the United States? It didn't fly over us by accident. It was intentional. Do we know what the Chinese Communist government was looking for? Senator, we have some very good guesses about that, uh, and we are learning more as we exploit the contents of the balloon and the payload itself. Okay, so it has been brought to the attention, not in classified session, but through the news, that this isn't the first time this has happened. This has happened several times before. My question is, is if we waited to shoot this one down over water, why didn't we shoot the last ones down over water? Senator, I'll take that question. Um, we uh, are learning more about the balloon program. Uh, we are more aware of this balloon program in recent months than we have been in the past. So, uh, Senator, I think that our assessments uh, are maturing about the intent behind these balloons and the operational activity. So, intent behind these balloons get out of here. You mean that there were balloons before we didn't shoot them down and we didn't see them? Were they tethered balloon? Were they up there with ours? I mean, we got a shit ton of balloons everywhere. Balloons that Google had that I talked about in the past on my podcast when it was important to talk about it because they were doing something in South America before Venezuela, right? So those were actually given to the government. So they just popped them out of their pocket now and now it's a problem, but they can't address the problem really because they're still studying the contents because you know they were just made aware of it, but they've flown before. Sounds like a lot of 
preemptive, hey, we're going to war in 2025 right after the election. So let's get to business. In the meantime, we have the weaponization of the federal government. Let's take a listen to what Jim Jordan said. 6, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deli deliberately manipulating January 6 case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. And this is just the FBI. Americans have concerns about the double standard at the Department of Justice. Americans have concerns about the disinformation governance board that the Department of Homeland Security tried to form. Americans have concerns about the ATF and what they're doing to the Second Amendment. And of course, they have concerns about the IRS and the thousands of new agents who are coming to that organization. And finally, there are concerns about what we've learned in the Twitter files, where big government and big tech colluded to shape and mold the narrative and to suppress information and censor Americans. Over the course of our work in this committee, we expect to hear from government officials and experts like we have here today. We expect to hear from Americans who've been targeted by their government. We expect to hear from people in the media. And we expect to hear from the FBI agents who have come forward as whistleblowers. We think many of them will set for transcribed interviews as one did on Tuesday. And we believe several of them will come and testify in open hearings. And finally, we expect to bring forward legislation that will help protect the American people. We hope our Democrat colleagues will work with us. The day the resolution creating this select committee was debated and passed though, Mr. Jeffries, Mr. Nadler said Democrats would quote, fight us tooth and nail. We hope that attitude changes. We wanna work with them. Protecting the First Amendment shouldn't be partisan. Protecting the Constitution shouldn't be partisan. And protecting the fundamental principle of equal treatment under the law should not be partisan. With that, I yield to the ranking member for her opening statement.
Thank you, Chairman Jordan. Nobody disputes the important role of congressional oversight. I know firsthand how important it is to ask questions and demand answers of the federal government. In the ordinary course of business, that work informs the legislative process. In extraordinary times, when misconduct in the executive branch threatens to undermine our democratic institutions, congressional oversight can serve to protect the integrity of our republic. For example, I'm proud of the role I played as an impeachment manager in the second impeachment of President Donald Trump in the aftermath of the attack on the Capitol. That bipartisan work was both a measure of accountability and a sign to the American people that Congress had no intention of being bullied into giving up on a peaceful transfer of power. But there is a difference, my colleagues, between legitimate oversight and weaponization of Congress and our processes, particularly our committee work as a political tool. I'm deeply concerned about the use of this select subcommittee as a place to settle scores, showcase conspiracy theories, and advance an extreme agenda that risk undermining Americans' faith in our democracy. Some of today's witnesses would have us believe that the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are part of a deep state cabal. One even wrote a book describing the FBI itself as a threat to democracy. The Department of Justice and the FBI do not always get it right. History is full of examples of these agencies getting it very, very wrong. We have colleagues in this Congress who have been subject to politically motivated, hateful, racist investigations by our government. That does not logically follow that every investigation or criminal inquiry by the FBI or the Department of Justice is political or ideologically based. But in our current climate, with domestic terrorism on the rise and hate speech normalized by national politicians, the Department of Justice and the FBI are doing their best to protect us from sliding into chaos. This past Monday, the FBI captured two individuals, one a neo-Nazi leader and founder of an Antum Waffen group who were plotting a racially motivated attack on Baltimore's power grid. They said their goal was to, quote, completely destroy this whole city, end quote. Last week, the FBI infiltrated and disrupted a major cyber criminal group extorting schools, hospitals, and critical infrastructure around the world. And last summer, the FBI engaged in a mass violent crime enforcement effort that took nearly 6,000 violent criminals off of our American streets. Let's not forget the tremendous work of the FBI and the Department of Justice after the attacks on our homeland. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. In the next couple of days, I'm going to be dropping some information that, that are going to indicate just how corrupt our FBI really is. And not only the FBI, but a lot of senior officials. You know, I wrote this article about Hunter Biden smuggling the Ukrainian. Well, what if I told you that Biden right now in his position as president, his position as president was leveraged to set a criminal free. And so the reason I'm not publishing it yet or letting the cat out of the bag yet is because I want to have ironclad publicly available information 
to demonstrate that this all comes from Obama's Keystone officials. Wait till you see what's coming. Allow them to parade while our air quote side alleges to do. Remember the white supremacists taking out the grid? Here they are amplifying that statement, right? We have two Republicans that were shot dead. Nothing to see here, right? The record member, without objection, all of their opening statements will be included in the record. We will now introduce our first panel of witnesses. Senator Chuck Grassley has represented Iowa in the United States Senate since 1981. He is currently the ranking member of the Senate Committee on Budget. He is former chairman and ranking member of the Committee on the Judiciary and the Committee on Finance. Welcome, Senator Grassley. Senator Ron Johnson has represented the state of Wisconsin in the United States Senate since 2011. He has served as the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. We welcome you, Senator Johnson. Representative Jamie Raskin, Congressman Raskin has represented Maryland's 8th Congressional District since 2017. He currently serves as the ranking member on the Committee of Oversight and Accountability. And we have with us Ms. Uh, former member Tulsi Gabbard, who represented Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District for eight years in the House of Representatives. For nearly 20 years, she has served our country in the Hawaii Army National Guard and the U.S. Army Reserve, including deployments in Iraq and Kuwait. We thank all of you for your service. Our longstanding committee practice is to not ask questions of our colleagues and former colleagues that appear before us. In light of that practice, uh, our first panel will have 10 minutes to deliver their testimony. Again, we thank you for being here. And Senator from Iowa is recognized for 10 minutes. Thank you, Chairman Jordan and Ranking Member Plaskett for uh, this opportunity to appear. I thank you for inviting me to come here. And what I'm about to tell you sounds like it's out of some fiction spy thriller, but it actually happened, and it happened in our own government. Congressional oversight is a constitutional demand. We dedicate our careers to it. I have, at least. And during the course of my service, I've ran countless investigations. In the past few years, I've never seen so much effort from the FBI, the partisan media, and some of my Democrat colleagues to interfere with and undermine very legitimate congressional inquiries. It's because of a triad of disinformation and outright falsehoods. As one example, look at Crossfire Hurricane. Bit by bit, piece by piece, it's been deconstructed and shown to be politically motivated investigation, which it was. We all know now that it was the Democratic National Committee, along with the Clinton campaign, who colluded with the Russians. They used a former Russian spy, Fusion GPS, and law firm to create a fake dossier and then tried to cover it up. Now, the most recent example of this triad at work are efforts against my and Senator Johnson's ongoing Biden family investigation. That investigation started on August 14th, 2019, when I was chairman of the Senate Finance Committee with a letter that I wrote to the Treasury Department. My letter was about a questionable financial transaction subject to the Committee on foreign investment that related to a matter involving the Biden family. As our investigation continued and advanced, Democratic leadership 
and partisan media began their attack on our investigation. This is where that spy thriller starts to heat up. On July 13, 2020, then Majority, Minority Leader Schumer, Senator Warner, then Speaker Pelosi, and then Chairman Schiff sent a letter with a classified attachment to the FBI. That letter expressed a purported belief that Congress was the subject of a foreign disinformation campaign. The letter was targeted at the Johnson-Grassley investigation. However, the classified attachment included unclassified element that attempted and failed to tie our work to a Russian agent named Andrei Derkash. Unsurprisingly, those unclassified elements were leaked to the press to support a false campaign accusing Senator Johnson of me of relying on material from a Russian agent and thus advancing Russian disinformation. Of course, it was pure nonsense that the irresponsible media portrayed this all as the truth. Guess what then? Chairman Schiff claimed without any evidence whatsoever that our oversight work was rooted in Russian disinformation. Of course, you know, he conveniently left out that our oversight work was actually rooted in official U.S. government and Obama administration records. Then, guess what? Senator Blumenthal also wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post accusing our investigation of, quote, perpetuating Russian disinformation in the U.S. Senate, end of quote. And then, guess what? Minority Leader Schumer and then Ranking Member Wyden tried to offer a resolution in the Senate disparaging our Biden investigation. They, in a sense, were basically calling us Russian stooges. Pretty simple. That violated Senate rules in their efforts and, of course, were appropriately shut down. On July the 16th, 2020, mere days after the July 13th letter, then-ranking member, members Wyden and Peters, wrote a letter to me and Senator Johnson asking for a briefing from the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force. Our staff and the ranking member's staff had already, now remember, we had already received a briefing March of 2020 that put the issue to rest. So why another briefing? The point being, there was no real purpose for another briefing, let alone a member level briefing, other than to further undermine our investigation. Some of our Democratic colleagues weren't interested in anything but using the briefing to try and destroy our investigation. But at these, at these Democrats' insistence, the FBI caved. In August 2020, Senator Johnson and I had that infamous briefing from the FBI that was needless. And then, as we had feared, the contents of that briefing were later leaked 
to the Washington Post, even though the FBI had promised us confidentiality. That leak outrageously and inaccurately connected that FBI briefing to our investigation in another effort to falsely label our good government oversight work as Russian disinformation. Now the Wall Street Journal editorial board was on top of it because that board did the right thing and wrote a piece about the briefing titled, quote, the FBI's dubious briefing. Did the Bureau set up two GOP senators at the behest of Democrats, end of quote. So, simply put, the briefing was unnecessary and completely irrelevant to the substance of our investigation. It was only done because the Democrats wanted to do so they could try and smear us. And the FBI wrongly, the FBI wrongly did their bidding. To this very day, Director Ray refuses to provide Senator Johnson and me as constitutional officers records relating to that briefing, including the alleged intelligence basis for it. Director Ray has consistently failed to perform duties required of his position. Now, another example of this democratic disinformation campaign involved a George Kent, former State Department Deputy Assistant General. Senator Johnson and I ran a transcribed interview with George Kent. Before the interview, Democrats acquired material from that Russian agent, the same one that I mentioned earlier. At the interview, Democrats, not Republicans, Democrats asked Mr. Kent about the same material. Mr. Kent said it was disinformation. Now think about that. After all the spears the Democrats were throwing at the two of us, in the end, it was the Democrats who introduced Russian disinformation from a Russian agent into the investigative record as an exhibit. A foreign agent whom our own intelligence committee warned was actively seeking to influence U.S. politics. Not me or Senator Johnson, not our staff. It was the Democrats who inserted disinformation from the Russians into our official record. The partisan media and Democrat leadership ought to be ashamed of themselves for fake information if they spread, uh, that they spread about our investigation. So in the end, they all failed to stop Senator Johnson and me. On August 23rd, 2020, Senator Johnson and I released our first Biden investigation report. Now I know there's been a lot of talk in this town about treasure records, and you ought to pursue them. In that 2020 report, we made public the contents of many treasury records. But we didn't stop there. We issued another report, November 18, 2020. I'm sorry, I have to pause this because I am losing my mind. 
Do you guys see this guy here? For those of you not watching, there is a creepy young man that looks like if you were to see him in a movie, you'd be like, oh my gosh, he's the killer. Right. This is like a game of Among Us. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to be like something's wrong here. Uh, it's almost as if he's chanting with high focus. Let's continue. I had to say something though. Our report exposed extensive financial relationships between Hunter and James Biden and Chinese nationals connected to the communist regime. More precisely, uh, Chinese nationals connected to the Chinese government, military, and intelligence services. With the new Congress, of course, Senator Johnson and I transitioned to being ranking members. We hadn't forgot about what uh, the triad of partisan media, FBI, and Democrats, and leadership did to us. So we don't stop. We did what any congressional investigator uh, worth their salt would do. We gathered even more records to prove them all wrong. We acquired authentic bank records that substantiated findings of our previous two reports. They financially linked Hunter Biden and James Biden to entities and individuals connected with the communist Chinese regime. We also acquired business records with Hunter and James Biden's signatures alongside those same Chinese nationals. How were they supposed to be paid? According to bank records, there were wires from companies linked to the communist regime. In three floor speeches, we made those bank records public and asked this question to our partisan detractors, the same ones that I mentioned throughout my remarks, and maybe a lot of others. Are these official bank records Russian disinformation? We also shared hundreds of pages of bank records with U.S. Attorney Weiss. He failed to respond. Now, as our investigation continued, whistleblowers approached my office with allegations that the FBI created an assessment in August 2020, the same month that the FBI briefed me and Senator Johnson. According to these whistleblowers, that assessment was used by FBI headquarters to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as, you might expect, disinformation. As a result, this scheme allegedly caused investigative activity to entirely cease. It's been further alleged to me that in September 2020, the same month Senator Johnson and I released our first report, those FBI headquarters personnel began placing their analysis of the credibility of reporting related to the Biden family in what I've been told is a restricted access sub-file. Further allegations to my office involved FBI personnel at the Washington field office who improperly ordered information to be closed by the FBI related to Hunter Biden's potential criminal conduct in October 2020, just before the election, even though it was verified or it was verifiable. Other whistleblower disclosures to my office make clear that the FBI has within its uh, possession 
very significant, impactful, and voluminous evidence with respect to potential criminal conduct by Hunter and James Biden. These disclosures also allege that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them. We still aren't sure what's been done with this information. The FBI's track record doesn't create much faith that the information is going to be followed up on. It's clear to me that the Justice Department and the FBI are suffering from a political infection that if it's not defeated, will cause the American people no longer to trust these storied institutions. It will also threaten the American way of life. Unfortunately, what you've heard from me, this story of government abuse and political treachery is scarier than fiction. It really happened. But Mr. Chairman, your committee here, so assembled, has an opportunity to help us write the last chapter in this real life drama. You must relentlessly pursue the facts and the evidence. Senator, Senator Johnson and I will do the same and willing to work with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator Grassley. Senator Johnson. Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Plaskett, members of the Select Committee. Thank you for inviting me to testify about my personal knowledge of and experience with federal agencies being weaponized against U.S. citizens. Senator Grassley has just described the most egregious examples undertaken by multiple actors and agencies to undermine and sabotage our joint investigations. But to begin, let me be clear. Throughout my testimony, I am not talking about the men and women in government who conduct themselves with integrity and patriotism. But at the outset, it is important to recognize corrupt individuals within federal agencies that I am talking about are not acting alone. They operate as vital partners of the left-wing political movement that includes most members of the mainstream media, big tech social media giants, global institutions and foundations, Democrat Party operatives, and elected officials. As the Twitter files reveal, these actors work in concert to defeat their political opponents and promote left-wing ideology and government control over our lives. My eyes began opening to this reality with the disclosure of how the Obama administration weaponized the IRS to harass Tea Party groups by denying them tax-exempt status. My personal knowledge and experience with agency corruption began in 2015 when I became chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. My first investigation ultimately revealed the extensive editing of then FBI Director James Comey uh, of his July 5, 2016 statement that exonerated Secretary Clinton regarding her use of a private email server for official business. The edits were clearly made to downplay the seriousness of her actions. It is important to note those partisan edits were made by the same cast of characters in the FBI that would initiate and drive the corrupt Russian-Trump collusion investigation. During our investigation of the FBI's involvement in the Russian collusion hoax, Senator Grassley and I uncovered and made public highly partisan text messages between FBI employees Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Strzok's December 15, 2016 test, quote, 
Think our sisters have begun leaking like mad. Scorned, worried, and political, their kicking into overdrive has never been given the attention it deserves. In 2022 interview with Jeff Girth, Strzok said he now believes that, believes, quote, that it is more likely the text came not from the CIA, but from senior levels of the US government or Congress. Who might those leakers be? Why aren't reporters who received the leaks outraged at being fed false information? And why haven't they blown the whistle on the leakers? Why didn't the mainstream media robustly investigate how they were all duped? The answer is, they weren't duped. They were complicit in creating and fostering the political turmoil our country has been experiencing over the last six years. Those leaks were a key ingredient in the most destructive political dirty trick in U.S. history, the creation and promotion of the false Russia-Trump collusion narrative. To be most effective, however, that narrative relied, relied on coordination between government actors and the media. And the left had allies in the FBI. Unable to verify the Steele dossier, the FBI offered Christopher, Christopher Steele one million dollars to provide verification. By December 2016, the FBI knew they had investigated Steele's primary subsource as a Russian spy. In the main body of the Department of Justice Inspector General's report on FISA abuse, FBI official Bill Priestap is quoted saying the FBI, quote, didn't have any indication whatsoever, unquote, of Russian influence on the Steele dossier. Our investigation uncovered redacted footnotes to that same document that completely contradicted that statement. Why would Priestap's false statement appear in the report, but the truth be hidden in classified footnotes? 14 months later, in February 2018, the FBI still briefed the Senate Intelligence Committee that the dossier had validity. When the Mueller report found no evidence of collusion, the left engineered an, in, an impeachment of President Trump. The cooperation between the House Intelligence Committee and the impeachment whistleblower remains murky. Then Chairman Adam Schiff originally denied his committee had contact with the whistleblower prior to the filing of the complaint. A claim Schiff later attempted to walk back. The genesis of the impeachment saga has yet to be fully investigated. It needs to be. Prior to the impeachment proceedings, Hunter Biden's obvious conflicts of interest in Ukraine became public, and Senator Grassley and I began investigating. We didn't target Joe and Hunter Biden. Their actions demanded it. On December 9, 2019, the FBI issued a grand jury subpoena and took possession of Hunter, Latin, Hunter Biden's laptop from John Paul McIsaac, a computer shop owner in Wilmington, Delaware. As the FBI left his shop with the laptop, Mr. McIsaac recalled one agent saying, quote, it is our experience that nothing ever happens to people that don't talk about these things, unquote. That statement was the opening salvo in a coordinated effort over the next 10 months to sabotage any public revelation of Hunter Biden's laptop 
or any wrongdoing connected to the Bidens. Senator Grassley has provided a number of examples of that sabotage. And we will re release a report that goes into far greater detail than we have time for today. When available, I hope everyone, everyone will read it. Perhaps the most egregious and effective act of sabotage against the truth was the public letter signed by 51 former intelligence officials that claimed the laptop had, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, unquote. That letter itself was an information operation that interfered with and impacted the 2020 presidential election to a far greater extent than anything Russia ever could have hoped to achieve. Each of those intelligence officials needs to be interviewed to determine how that letter was mastermounded. While we all condemned the violence on January 6th, we all condemned the violence on January 6th. The further in which the fervor in which the Biden Department of Justice has pursued those protesters and rioters stand in, stands in stark contrast to the lack of interest in the summer of 2020 rioters. Serious questions regarding instances of unequal application of justice and violation of January 6th defendants' due process rights remain unanswered. SWAT team arrests and treatment of prisoners are legitimate concerns. And neither the Senate nor House investigations adequate explained, adequately explained why the Capitol was so woefully unprepared or how many federal agents and informants were in the crowd. COVID has exposed the awesome power that can be misused by government officials. The loss of basic freedoms has been nothing less than breathtaking. Our response to the pandemic has been a miserable failure. A miserable failure. Over one million lives lost. The human toll of the economic devastation caused by shutdowns that did not work. And the loss of learning and other psychological harms to our children. Federal health officials denied patients early treatment and to this day refuse to acknowledge the extent of significant injuries caused by the COVID vaccines. Emails between Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins reveal how they intended to use their awesome government authority and power to accomplish a, quote, devastating published takedown, unquote, of scientists who offered a different approach to handling the pandemic. Have emails also revealed Fauci's attempt to hide his agency's role in funding dangerous research that might have led to the creation of the deadly coronavirus? We don't know because those agencies won't provide the unredacted documents. Federal health agencies have not been honest or transparent. I've written over 50 oversight letters and the vast majority of the questions I have asked have either received an inadequate response or no response at all. I have requested information that the public has a right, has a right to know. Doctors who have had the courage and compassion to treat COVID patients using their off-label prescription rights have been vilified, censored, and their careers destroyed. 
Other health professionals have noticed, towed the line, and remained silent. Parents who, out of concern for their children, questioned school boards and administrators have been labeled potential domestic terrorists and must now fear scrutiny from the federal, federal law enforcement. With the release of the Twitter files and the Missouri law and Louisiana lawsuits against the Biden administration, we are getting a clearer picture of how active government officials were in suppressing free speech and controlling the narrative. It is also becoming obvious that the World Health Organization has been captured by the Chinese government, the global institutions in general have been captured by the left, and that some charitable foundations are exerting far more power over public policy than should be allowed. Oh, you have no Chairman idea. Jordan. Guys, everything that's happening right now is all, oh, you're going to, like I said, February's going to be lit. And uh, while they come out with their death rattles, because this is rigor mortis literally setting in. And the fact that people are starting to see clearer now is more important than anything. Now, I want to leave you with this. There are a lot of things that will be put forward. I will be doing an expose. Like I said, you know, this Hunter Biden laptop that everyone keeps talking about, uh, and, and myself, I've been publishing since early 2020 about it, right, is, is very important for a few reasons. The majority of the reasons being that it, you need to read it more, meaning people need to sit down and analyze it. And as you analyze it, more things come to the surface and you start to see. So I'm going to be providing you a gift by showing you exactly how much the FBI has and how much is not being told. Well, Garrett put out a thorough report where he pretty much did an information jump with references. And I have to thank him and Minnie for keeping me out of the conversation. I mean, it's not like Hunter would target me because wait till you see what I unveil about Bucharest. It is pure, pure insanity. And you know, it just happened while I'm eating dinner that I say, well, there's got to be a reason X, Y, Z. And the person that I was having the conversation with reminded me of something in the past. And I was like, oh, duh, that's it. That's how I bring it. See, there are many things that I'm sure Chuck Grassley, Johnson, and many others want to say because they were part of the Intel Committee, like he said, and found out a lot of things. A lot of things. But they can't. Classification, blah, 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 blah. But I will bring it to you. Now, I wanted to show you something pretty interesting. So it seems that, you know, the Twitter Files article is making moves, and so is the Lauren Southern AI. Don Jr. retweeted and retruth and said, stop supporting woke companies who hate you. They'll keep doing this crap until everyone pushes back. There are so many options out there, you just have to take a second. Here's a great place to start finding companies that share and support your values, not companies who use AI to cancel you. Mm based on people you know. It will never stop until we push back. Check it out here. So let's go check it out here. Let's go see what Public Square is. Public Square. I like that. 
Let me show you what Public Square is. So Public Square is America's marketplace. It's connecting freedom-loving Americans to American-loving companies and businesses that share their values. Almost incredible, isn't it? That you can find businesses to support that support your values. Americans believe that the average life cycle of a civilization is roughly 250 years. The United States just this past summer celebrated our 245th birthday. What that means is that this great nation has less than five years to make a very crucial choice. Are we going to dissolve at the hands of authoritarian progressivism and woke corporatism? Or are we going to rise up, stand for freedom, and pursue the liberties that have made this nation so special in the first place? We at Public Square are choosing freedom. We believe in a bright future for our nation, but we'll only get there if we pursue innovation and creativity as we push back against the tyranny of big tech and progressive corporations, all the while protecting the unalienable rights allotted to each individual in the public square. Public Square is an app that provides local connection to those who have felt silenced. And we do this through interactive, safe, and censor-free groups. And we provide a digital marketplace that displays all of the freedom-loving businesses in your local community so that you can ensure you're spending your hard-earned money in alignment with your values for all of life's purchases. We believe that freedom gets brought into the mainstream when we can provide a social platform for people in local communities to safely and securely live out their values. And Public Square is that platform. If you're looking for new friends that share your values, a job with a company that won't ask about your medical choices, or simply a cup of coffee at a cafe that hasn't gone woke, you'll love the Public Square platform. To join the national movement of thriving local communities, download the Public SQ app today to get started. Would you look at that? We only have about 250, well, a few years till we get to 250, right? So here's where you can add your business and get on there. So you can add your business for free right here. All you do is click, you put your email password, and that's it, and you join Public Square. For those of you that make custom anything, put your business on there. I think we'll all be checking to see, hey, I need to buy this. Maybe I'll buy that. On that note, I want all of you to have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful evening. And I'm going to get to work. So on that note, see you guys tomorrow, same time. And we should be talking about Romania. And it's not just about the tape, brother. Sweeping in the air Who can tell where it will fall through Floating forests in the air Cross the rolling open sea Blow the sun through air Leave the past